you would please turn to Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at verse 1 tonight. Chapter 12, verse 1. Allow me to read it for us as we begin. I'll pray for our evening. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Let me pray for us as we begin our time in God's word. Lord God, we are humbled by your word. We're humbled by our need for you. Lord, as we approach your word, I pray that we would indeed see our need for you in all things. I pray that we would rest in your grace, that we'd rest in your strength, and we'd rest in the finished work of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would tear down in us any sense of self-righteousness, any sense of pride, and Lord, instead that we would worship Christ. Lord, that you would work in us to live for you, to love you, and to live for you in all things. Even as we approach your word this evening, God, I ask that it would be a time of worship, a time that exalts Christ, and that you would be glorified and honored. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. When I was... I'm going to the great junior college known as Diablo Valley College. You can see, um, you know, you have to go through different requirements, take different classes. Uh, I was following, I think, if I remember correctly, called the Agetsi, uh, which was like, you know, you want to take all these different classes to get you in case you want to do, I don't know, UC or something. I don't remember exactly the details. Does that sound right, Connor? Okay. Anyways, I, you have a certain amount of requirements, like you had to take a certain amount of English classes, math classes, history classes, electives, you know, this and that. And I, there's a certain amount of science classes I don't remember, but if I do remember correctly, I think a part of the requirements were that you had to have one science lab. And so the lab that I took was a bio lab, a biology lab, and it was on, in addition to the biology class. And so... It was worth more units because it, it, it took longer time out of your week. You would go to the biology class. You would learn in the lecture. You would learn information in the class. And then after that, you would spend a couple hours in the lab uh, doing stuff, like, like hands-on stuff, uh, practicing what you just learned. So, for instance, in biology, we would learn about the intricacies of an eyeball and then in the lab you would dissect an eyeball or you know you would learn the intricacies you know the details of a frog and then you go in the lab and you would dissect the frog in any case i was horrible at the labs i absolutely hated it one because it's disgusting no one wants to dissect an eyeball or a frog some of you weirdos do but it was gross and secondly because i'm horrible with my hands like i i'm just if you ever go to my house and you see tools like a screwdriver or a hammer, they're not mine. They're my wife's, okay, <laughs> because I'm no, no good with it. And so when you have a knife and tools trying to cut an eyeball, I have no idea what I'm doing, 
All right, but I was supposed to be putting into practice and seeing hands-on what I was learning from the textbook, what I was learning in the classroom. Now we reach a turning point here in Paul's letter to the Romans. You might remember it's been a while since we've been in Romans. And this book can often be viewed in two sections. Chapters 1 through 11, which we've gone through now, as a doctrinal section or the classwork in the classroom. And then chapters 12 through 16, which we are now entering, can be seen as the application section or the lab as you practice it out. And it is this application section that we find ourselves now in. And we have to understand that these two sections, 1 through 11, the doctrinal section, 12 through 16, the application section, these two sections are not mutually exclusive. For there are many, if you remember, applicable points that come out of the doctrine found in chapters 1 through 11. And on the flip side, these doctrinal truths serve as the base for the application that we will find in chapters 12 through 16. Doctrine and application can never be separated. You cannot have chapters 12 through 16, the application, without chapters 1 through 11, without the doctrine. I remember the, the book of Romans is one letter, and we must treat it as such. So as we enter now a very heavy application section of this letter, really from here on out, we must keep it in the context of the doctrine that was already stated that we've looked at for the past year and a half or so. This application that we look at tonight, this section starts off by talking about how talking about the Christian life being a life of sacrifice to God. As the Christian responds to the doctrines of chapters 1 through 11 and the Christian responds to the gospel, they will respond in living their lives for the glory of God. And Paul is calling the Christian, he's urging the Christian to respond by living a life of sacrifice to God. So tonight we're going to look at the Christian's life of sacrifice in response to the gospel. And we're going to do this by looking at the reason for the sacrifice and then by looking at the attributes of the sacrifice. Or the reason and the attributes. This is going to be our two main sections. So first, we're going to see the reason for sacrifice. And your first point in the reason for sacrifice is that the Christian lives a life of sacrifice because of the gospel. The Christian lives a life of sacrifice because of the gospel. You'll notice Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore. And if you've been around for some time... You know that any time we approach a therefore, we must ask ourselves, what is the therefore therefore? Or we should pay attention to the therefore because it is therefore a purpose, right? So what is the therefore therefore? It's true. We should pay attention to, we should seek to understand what is the therefore therefore. Now, there is some debate on what the therefore is referring to. Is it referring to the immediate doxology of chapters 11, verses 33 and 36, that last piece of, of doxology that we looked at? 
Is it referring to God's plan of salvation that we saw in chapters 9 through 11 in that big chunk that we saw last time? Or is it referring to everything stated in chapters 1 through 11? And I believe that is likely what it's referring to. Chapters, all of chapters 1 through 11, I believe this therefore really is a turning point and is therefore as a result of everything that I just said starting from chapter 1. And that's very much Paul's style of writing. He does this in many letters. Just to name a couple, he does this in Ephesians. Ephesians 1 through 3 being that doctrinal side and then 4 through 6 being the application. Chapters 4 1 in Ephesians, he says, I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And then he talks about what that is. So he does the same thing in Colossians 1 and 2, and then chapters 3 and 4. And to start chapter 3, he says, if then you've been raised in Christ, seek the things that are above. And then he lists out what that looks like. And I think we see something similar here. Paul spends a lot of time talking about doctrine, about getting the gospel right. And it is in light of the gospel that we then live a certain way. I believe that everything Paul has said up to this point is the foundation. It is the reason why the Christian lives a life of sacrifice to God. It is the foundation of the application that is soon to come. It is because we are sinful, because we cannot do good, we are not seeking after God, we are deserving of God's wrath, chapters 1 through 3. It is because we are justified by faith and because we have peace with God and we are dead to sin and alive with Christ, chapters 4 through 6. It is because we are freed from the grip of the law and we are found righteous in Christ and we are eternally secured in him, chapters 7 and 8. It is because God is in complete sovereign control over salvation, chapters 9 through 11. It is because of all of this that now we live sacrificial lives to God. It is because of who God is and because of what he has done that we respond in worship, that we respond in joyful, sacrificial living for God. That is our response to doctrine. What is your response to doctrine? How do you respond to doctrine? Do you view the doctrine as boring? Yeah, let's just get to the good stuff. Just tell me what I can do to be a better person. Tell me how to be a better Christian. This doctrine stuff, this heady stuff is boring. Maybe it's a flip side. Does doctrine puff you up in pride? Do you walk away pridefully after hearing and learning about the truths of God? That you look down upon others and think, oh man, if only they knew what I knew. Maybe one day they'll, they'll understand like I understand it. Or does doctrine lead you to worship? Does it lead you to worship? Does doctrine lead you to respond in sacrificial living? That ought to be our response. And Paul says here that it is by the mercies of God that we live a life of sacrifice to God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And this is so important for us not to miss. He's not just using filler words. I should write down by the mercies of God. That sounds nice. But there's meaning. There's purpose behind these words. It is by the mercies of God that we live sacrificially to God. It's not by our dutiful demands. 
It's not by our merits that we live sacrificially to God. We do not live a life of sacrifice to God so we can pay him back in some way. It's not that we see all that he's done for us. And and, and so, so, so we need to pay him back. We need to live a sacrificial life just so we can get a little bit more even with God. No. Salvation is a gift from God. When someone gives you a gift... You don't respond with, oh, man, thanks for the gift. Here, you know, I have $10 on me. Here's 10 bucks, and you know what? I'm going to start paying you back. No, that's no longer a gift. Our sacrificial lives to God is not to, to pay him back for the gift in which he's given us, the gift of salvation. No, we live a life of sacrifice to God by the mercies of God because God is merciful. You see the difference? To live sacrificially to God, to pay him back in some way, is to live a life of self-righteousness, is to live a self-vindicating life. It is to take away from the grace and the mercy of God and to now earn in some way your own salvation, just retrospectively. But we do not and we cannot earn our salvation. That is not what sacrificial living for God is about. To live a life of sacrifice by the mercies of God is to live in light of the gospel. It is to be overwhelmed and consumed by his rich mercy and then to be moved, to be motivated to live sacrificially for him. So we must always keep the gospel in mind. Always. Next The Christian lives a life of sacrifice because they are already saved. The Christian lives a life of sacrifice because they are already saved. That's the key. They're already saved. Who does he address this to? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. That's very important. He's not calling the unbeliever to a life of sacrificial living to God. He is calling the believer, brothers, to a life of sacrificial living. There is a difference. In fact, there's a big difference. And we cannot afford to get this backwards. Salvation comes before Christian living. Always. You understand that? Write that down, please. Salvation comes before Christian living. Always. Christian living does not come before salvation. It cannot. If you in some way believe that you can live a Christian lifestyle, that you can live like a Christian and then become a Christian because of it, then you have not understood the gospel. and You are fatally deceived. Salvation first, then Christian living. Salvation first, then Christian living. This should really tell us two things, I think. At least I want us to recognize tonight. First is that if you are not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, then living a life of sacrifice to God will do you no good right now. You understand that? If you're not a Christian, living a life of sacrifice to God, which we're going to talk about tonight, will do you no good right now. 
You should not be concerned right now about your outward works and behavior. You must be concerned about your soul. You must be concerned about your relationship with God. Because right now, you are at war with God. And you have his wrath over your head. And some of you, even non-believers, some of you say, God, I'll give you my all. In fact, we kind of sang that tonight. I surrender all. And some of you say, God, I'll give you my all. I'll do this and I'll do that for you. Anything. And yet, you have yet to turn to him in genuine faith and repentance. You're willing to give him your all? And yet you aren't willing to give him your soul? That doesn't make any sense. What I mean is you cannot say you'll do this and you'll do that for God. And yet you haven't bowed the knee and submitted to him as Christ and King. You're interested in works, not worship. If you're not a Christian, let me hear this, know this. That it doesn't matter how costly or, or sacrificial your offerings in life may be. If you are not in Christ, these offerings mean nothing. You need to be made right with God. And this is not done through your works. This is done through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Your faith needs to be in him, not in yourself. I think this should tell us that if you're not a Christian, living like a sacrifice for God would do you no good right now. But I think also it tells us that if you are a Christian, if you are a Christian, then respond to the call to live a life of sacrifice to God. If you are a Christian, respond to the call to live a life of sacrifice to God. This is a call for the believer's life. This is a call to the believer. You are saved by the grace of God through the finished work of Christ. You are saved. So now what? Now what, Christian? Now respond in sacrificial living for him. Out of everything we heard from chapters 1 through 11, now what do we do with this? What do we do with this great God? What do we do with this great work that he's done? Now what? Now respond in sacrificial living for him. Is your life a life of sacrifice to God? Sacrifice is not a word that many of us like. In fact, most of the time, we're not seeking a sacrifice. We're seeking to gain. So to have a call to live a life of sacrifice, it's not all that appealing. But what does God's word say? God's instruction and his desire is for the Christian to live a life of sacrifice to him. Do you trust God's instruction? Do you trust God's desire? Do you desire what he desires? Do you desire to follow his commands? Do you desire to follow his instructions? Then submit your life as a living sacrifice to God. If you are truly saved, Will you respond to the call to offer up your life as a living sacrifice to God? Will God's goodness and his grace and his love and his mercy will motivate you to respond to the call to live your life as a sacrifice to him?
will motivate you to live in complete obedience and service to God. Will you see the transforming power of the gospel at work in your life? Remember the gospel. I am stressing this before we get in to how we live sacrificially. Remember the gospel. Remember what comes first. It must come first. But we mustn't stop there. Let's look at the attributes of the sacrifice. We've seen the reason. Now let's look at the attributes of the sacrifice. Just found in this verse. First, it is a sacrifice of the body. It is a sacrifice of the body. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. Again, there's some question, there's some date, some debate on what body means when he says present your bodies. Some of the early commentators suggest that bodies mean not just offering our physical bodies, but our all, our everything, all that we are. And while there is truth to that, Christians should do that, offer all that they are, and we're going to look at that later. I agree with most commentators today who believe Paul is putting emphasis on the physical body itself. I think it goes in line with many places in Scripture that talk about the importance of the body. It goes in line with this letter when Paul talks about the body in chapter 6, you might remember. You might remember that Paul in chapter 6 urges the believer to not let sin reign in our mortal bodies, but instead to present ourselves as instruments of righteousness. The Christian ought not present their bodies as instruments to sin, but instead as instruments of righteousness. I think this also goes in line with where he's headed in the next verse, talking about renewing our mind and that part of the body, which we're going to get to next week. So we must ask the question, Christian, how are you using your body for the glory of God? How are you using your body for the glory of God? Let's let's look at some of our body parts. How are you using your mind for the glory of God? What are you filling your mind with? We are consumers. We spend hours upon hours consuming our minds with movies and television and social media and vlogging. I just found out what vlogging is this week. So weird. Not flogging. I know all about flogging. Vlogging. It's video blogging. Vlogging. People just vlog their days, like their day, I guess. And people watch their day. I don't understand. But we people watch it, right? We consume our minds. We fill our minds with all of this. Are you filling your mind with filth? Are you filling your mind with worldly garbage? Are you filling your mind with things that will open the door to sin? Are you filling your mind with things that are going to push you towards glorifying God? It will push you towards living a life of sacrifice to God. What are you doing with your mind? We're going to talk more about the mind next week, so I'll stop there. How are you using your eyes and your ears for the glory of God? The things that you look at, the things that you listen to, Are they glorifying to God? 
There's so many voices out there in the world that we listen to, good and bad voices. Are you discerning of the voices you are listening to? Are these voices are they pushing you towards the praise and the worship of God? Or are they distorting the truths of God? So often I hear people, they build their worldview based on what they hear from social media, from influencers, from friends, from pastors. And these things can be good if it's based on the word of God. But do not build your worldview on something that is contrary to the word of God. Use discernment on what you're listening to. What about your eyes? Your eyes. How are you using your eyes for the glory of God? Are you using your eyes for sin? This world has made accessible and acceptable, both accessible and acceptable, sinful images and videos in which we can look upon and use our bodies not for the glory of God, but instead for sin. Will you present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God? Will you live for the glory of God? Or will you use your body for sin? Your eyes and your ears for sin? How are you using your tongue for the glory of God? James chapter 3 says that we can use our tongue for sin or for the glory of God. Are you using your tongue for gossip? For slander? For crude jokes, for foul language, to lie, to build yourself up, to bring others down? Or are you using your tongue for the glory of God, to praise his name, to proclaim his gospel, to speak his truths, to build others up in love and encouragement? Just think of this past week. Just think of today. Let's start there. Think of today. How have you used your tongue today? Have you used it for sin? Or have you used it for the glory of God? How are you using your hands and your feet for the glory of God? What are you doing with your hands? Where are you going with your feet? Are you using even your hands and your feet for the glory of God? Or for opportunity to sin? Look, I hope you, you're seeing the picture here. right? That overall, just, just as we asked ourselves when we were in chapter 6, are you offering your body as an instrument for sin? Or as an instrument for righteousness, for the glory of God? How are you using your body? If you are a Christian, I urge you, evaluate the ways in which you are using the body in which God has given you. And be challenged to use your body as an offering to God for the glory of God. This is a sacrifice of the body. Next we see is it is a sacrifice of living. It is a sacrifice of living. He says... To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. The Christian sacrifice is a living sacrifice. Opposed 
to a dead one. And there's a difference. And I think the emphasis and the idea is that on a living sacrifice. Now, might living a sacrificial life for God result in death? Yes, it might. There have been many who were called to die for the sake of the Lord. And one day that might be God's call for your life too. But until the Lord calls you to death, you are called to live. And you are called to live as a sacrifice to him. And some of you are alive, but you're not living. What I mean is that you are you're alive, but you're just going through the motions. You're just on autopilot. You're, you're getting from one thing to the next without a care or a thought or intentionality of living as a sacrifice to God. Of living in worship to God. The sacrifice is the sacrifice of living. Are you living? To offer up our lives as a living sacrifice is to offer up our everything, our best, every aspect of our lives. Like Paul says in Philippians 2.17, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offerings of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Or as he says in 2 Timothy 4.16, I'm sorry, 4, 6 through 7. 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 7, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. We are to give our entire lives to God. Not just our leftovers. You see what I'm saying? Too often I hear Christians talking about giving God their leftovers. And they would never say that. They don't say it in those words, but that's what they're saying. They say something like, ah, yeah, you know, I just, I just don't have time to read the Bible. I, I need to find some time to squeeze it in. You don't have time? Squeeze it in? Why is reading the word a second thought? Why is reading God's word, spending time in his word, why, why does that have to be squeezed in? Why does it get your leftovers? That's just one example. Okay, we can come up with many. That's just one about reading God's word. Squeeze it in? My question is, are you living a life of sacrifice? Are you giving God your first fruits? Or does God have your leftovers? Do you give God your first your best, your priorities? Or does God get whatever extra time and effort and energy that you have left at the end of the day? And if you have none, oh well, that's all right. There's always tomorrow. Today was really busy with some really important stuff. You know, I just did not have time for God today. Does God have your first fruits? Or your leftovers? Are you presenting your life as a living sacrifice to God? Next, it is a sacrifice that is holy. The sacrifice that is holy. The sacrificial life in which you are living ought to be a life that is holy. And as many of you should know by now, to be holy is what? To be set apart. To be set apart. For the Christian to live a sacrificial life that is holy is to live a life that is set apart. 
To be set apart from the world and to be set apart to God. Is your life set apart from the world? Are the things in your life holy? Set apart from the world? Or does your life blend in with the world? Is there a difference, Christian? In your pursuits? In your goals? In your priorities? Or is your life not set apart? Does it look like every other unbeliever in this world? Is your life set apart to God? It's one thing to be set apart, to be different. But what are you set apart to? What, are you, what is your life directed at? Your life can be set apart from the world, but directed at something that is still off. If you're in Christ, your life ought to be set apart and directed towards Him. Are your pursuits and your goals and your priorities directed at Christ? Christian, is your life a life that is holy? Is there a pursuit of holiness in your life? What are the pursuits in your life? I want you to think about that. I want everyone to think about it. Maybe you even write it down. What are the pursuits in your life? What are you pursuing in your life? Is holiness one of them? Are you pursuing holiness? Are there any ways in which you are pursuing holiness in your life? You say, yeah, I'm pursuing holiness. How so? You like the idea of it? How are you actually pursuing holiness? Are you so filled with so many other pursuits that holiness is not even on the list? Or if it is, it's near the bottom. Now, I'll be honest. I don't love talking about pursuing holiness. Because I, I, I'm so cautious of, of becoming works-based in myself and, and, and in you. I don't want to call you to a works-based life. But it's something that needs to be brought up. It's something that we need to address. The Christian ought to be pursuing holiness, ought to be pursuing a life that, that, that is holy unto the Lord. You cannot just dismiss it. Is this something that you are pursuing, Christian? Or is it just something that you're hoping will organically happen to you? As Jerry Bridges would put it, we, we, we need to have a dependent responsibility in our pursuit of holiness. A dependent responsibility. We are responsible. We are responsible to actively pursue holiness. So pursue it. Be active, Christian. But we are also dependent. And we are dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit. And ultimately we are dependent on the grace of God. So do not become prideful in your pursuit of holiness. Rely on his work. Rely on his grace. But we ought to pursue holiness, Christian. Next, it is a sacrifice that is acceptable to God. You kind of see it underneath there. It is a sacrifice that is acceptable to God. Paul says that our sacrificial lives are acceptable to God. Isn't that incredible? Like, wait a minute. It's acceptable to God? Now, it's not, not acceptable in the way that it earns us favor or merit with God. Okay, be careful. 
Paul's not saying that the more we live a sacrificial life, the happier God is with us. The, 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 the more he loves us, the closer we are to him, the more secure we are with him. No! Okay, I need to remind you that God's love for his people is not dependent on how good or how bad your day has been. God's love for you does not increase nor diminish based on your performance at all. Can God hate people? That's a great question. We'll, we could talk about that in discussion group. Thank you. That's a good question to write down. But God's love for you is perfect. It is constant. God's love is eternal. God's love is unchanging. But see, he says here that it is holy and acceptable to God. I think it's in great contrast to what he said earlier in Romans 8, 8, which says that no one in the flesh can please God. No one in the flesh can please God. But now the Christian can live a life that is acceptable to God, that is pleasing to God. That our offering, as sinful and tainted as it may be, is pleasing to God. God does care about how we live our lives. It doesn't change his love for us. But he cares how we live our lives. And it pleases him when we live for him. Most of you in here are not parents. But hopefully you will be able to relate to this. I, I, I think on a human level, we can understand this between a parent and their child. For instance, when my son sins, Lord knows he does. <laughs> When my son sins, I do not love him less. My love for him is unconditional. I don't love him less. But when he chooses to live rightfully, when he chooses to honor God, it makes me so happy. It pleases me so much. Does my love for him change? No. Am I pleased? Yes. And that's coming from an unperfect, sinful human such as myself. How much more infinitely perfect is God's love for his own children? And at the same time, we can know that living in obedience to God for the glory of God is pleasing to him. You see? And not only that, but we also know that now, as as a new creation in him, we can worship him. The non-Christian cannot worship God. How can he? He's dead. He cannot please God. No matter how his his good deeds are seen on earth, it's not pleasing to God. It's not worship to God. But Christian, we can now worship God. We can live our lives in a way that is worship to him. We can offer up a sweet aroma to him in worship. And it pleases him. What a joyful truth to know that we can worship God. That he does accept our worship and that it is pleasing to him. Thank God for the finished work of Christ and the union that we have in him that allows us to enter the courts of God and offer him worship and praise. Lastly, what we see is that it is a sacrifice that is spiritual worship. See it right there at the bottom, if you can. It's a sacrifice 
That is spiritual worship. Now again, there is some debate here on what the word spiritual means. It says spiritual worship. It's hard to translate. Most modern translations do translate as spiritual. But it can also be translated as reasonable, which is how the King James translates it. And whether it's spiritual or reasonable, I think most would agree, even regardless of that translation, that, that what Paul is trying to communicate is that the Christian is to live a life that worships God in all things. And they take this word that's to be translated either as spiritual or reasonable, and they understand it to mean that all of what the Christian is to do ought to be for the worship of God. Everything. Yes, there is a special importance for, for constant, uh, uh, or I should say consistent, corporate worship. And we ought not neglect this, right? Like we, we should set time aside during the week. We should gather with the saints as one body in Him and worship God together. Yes, we ought to commit to this time. We, we ought to prioritize this time. We ought to worship Him in this time. But worship does not stop there. And it not, does not stop. It's not end Sunday mornings when you leave the building. Worship is how the Christian lives their lives. Their life of sacrifice ought to be a spiritual worship, a reasonable worship to God. You do not separate your life into different categories. Here's my school. Here's my sports. Here's my time with my friends. Here's my worship time. Here's my entertainment. No. All of it ought to be done in worship to God. Your whole life, every aspect is a sacrifice to God that is worship to him. Are you worshiping God with your life in all categories of your life? Or is worship its own category? If you can identify an area in your life that you know does not bring glory to God, I challenge you to consider no longer having that as part of your life. Why fill your time Why spend your life on something that is not worship? That does not bring glory to God. Christian, our life is a sacrificial life. That is spiritual worship. As we wrap up tonight, we see ourselves at a turning point in the book of Romans. And it turns from heavy doctrine to heavy application. But we cannot absorb and practice this application apart from the doctrine that has already been stated. We have to have a proper balance, right? We we cannot completely ignore the application and focus solely on the doctrine. We must understand the implications of doctrine and, and that it is to live for the glory of God. This application shows us God's desire on how we have to live for his glory. And on the other side, we cannot be so focused on the application that we forget the doctrine. We cannot be so consumed by the doing that we forget who it is we're living for and why it is we're living for him. Have both. Understand and remember who God is and what he has done. And be motivated and be disciplined to live for him because of it. If I can sum, sum up this, this hinge point here in the book of Romans, in only four words, it'd be this. 
the gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. It is the gospel that makes a difference. If the gospel has truly affected your life, then it will truly affect your life. You see what I'm saying? It is because of the gospel that we now live in the ways in which God says to live. The gospel truly affects our lives. The gospel truly makes a difference. Has it truly affected your life? Has the gospel made a difference in your life? If you are not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, living in these ways, pursuing to do better in these areas, provides you no benefit. It does not make you closer to God. It does not raise your chances of being saved. It does not make you closer to being saved. If anything, it may blind your vision and act as a stumbling block, making you believe you are right with God when you are not. If you are not a Christian, what you need is the gospel. You need the saving work of Jesus Christ. I urge you not to to do better, not to try harder, but I urge you to go to God in faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work on your behalf and to go to him repentant of your sin, asking that he would forgive you. If you are a Christian, you need the gospel too. Do not forget it. That's a great question. Write that down. We'll get to in discussion groups. We have a lot of questions. I'd love to answer all of them. If you are a Christian, do not forget the gospel, but pursue these things. Let your life be a life of sacrifice to God. Christian, do not grow weary, do not grow tired. Do not grow lazy in your walk with God, but live a life of sacrifice to God. Through it all, never forget the gospel. Never forget the unchanging love and the never-ending grace of God in your life. And through it all, worship God. See the gospel and respond in sacrificial living. All to the glory and praise of God. Let me pray. God, we thank you for your great gospel and truth and salvation found in Jesus Christ. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you have done. Lord, I pray that your truths would make a true impact in our lives. That we would seek to live sacrificially for you. That we would offer our lives up to you, not as payback, but God, because we love you, because you first loved us. God, work in our hearts, I ask. Break our hearts. Fill us with your love and your truth. God, that we'd be moved to worship you in all things. We ask for your grace in this time as we discuss these things. Give us your wisdom. Give us your truth. Change our hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.